So we have uh, some questions here. Questions. This first one's concerning um, people going on retreat. <coughs> How the Buddha would think about forced refuge. <laughs> <laughs> and there's apparently some criticism in some circles about retreat culture. Is it an elitist endeavor? In the time of the of the Buddha, seemed to be uh, the standard would be basically that people always try to make the observance days. That's uh, uh, once a week time of special practice where they take the eight precepts, listen to Dhamma talks, and do recollections, meditation, and so forth. And, it goes back to the time of the Buddha, and some seem to be quite. Um, there are many lay disciples or household, as they call them, in the in the suttas who practiced something clearly quite diligently and seem to be quite attained. I think when we talk about meditation retreats, it's it is a kind of a formulation, um, structured formulation. Um, retreat centres and going to certain retreat centres, um, which I don't think is a bad idea at all. Um, it's unfortunate that, it's that the whole process isn't more widespread, in my opinion. Not that the retreat centres, but that the people aren't doing kind of, you know, prolonged practice wherever they are. I imagine many of you are. Mm-hmm. Um, so in some cultures it's considered like in Thailand they often I think many of the the police have to go on retreats (laughs) you know or or they send them they have to do some retreats just to kind of really get to grip to come to terms with their emotions and understanding of so they're trying to act uh, properly Um, and I think in Burma also it's it's considered exemplary to do retreats for you know if you're if you're in service government service. Mm-hmm. So you know but you don't know what to say really because you can say well it's better than joining a. a a delinquent gang or Hell's Angels or the Oath Keepers or something like that. <laughs> a lot better. And naturally, in cultures, you get people who are like into, into boating or yachting or hiking. You get a hiking community or backpacking community or people into rock or music or something. So you get these kind of little subcultures and they can get very obsessive, but... Um, 
you know, human choices and sense with this one that we're really dealing with trying to work out greed, hatred and delusion um, and really go to workshops which are quite demanding in many respects in order to bring that around and the benefits that will then be you know, lived out in the community so I don't think there's any fault in that any, anything to feel regret about in that. Why people criticise it is because people criticise things. If you're not part of it, you can criticise it. <coughs> that's, the way, <laughs> that's the way it goes. You know, monastic culture, you can criticise that, getting away from the world, um, sitting in nice, quiet monasteries and you know, not being able to bother with things. So we're fine, well, come and join us then. <laughs> and it's, it's not as easy as you think as people think <laughs> retreats are not just a cosy option are they they're quite, quite taxing <clears throat> so this morning we talked about feeling feel, feelings so they can move through the person recognises it, so the answer to this is to feel them with mindfulness and awareness, easier said than done. Any tips on working with this in a way that does not get embroiled with negative feelings for days, weeks, months, decades? Well, the English word feeling covers... Um, triad of, of Pali words. So the word talking about was Vedana feeling, which just means the degree of pleasure or pain or neutrality. That's exactly what it means. It's a tonality. And generally when we talk about feelings, we talk about sensitivities and emotions. And that involves two other aggregates, perception aggregate, the sense of an, a meaning or an impression that sounded really hostile to me. That's a perception. It's not a feeling. The feeling may be negative, but the perception is a perception. Um, well, that was a very friendly gesture. That's a perception. Uh, and then Sankara, which is what we might pr- more properly call the emotion, which is a triggering of energy. It's triggered by that perception and feeling. And it's the Sankara that are the um, give rise to these tangles and um, <clears throat> you know that last for ages because they create a pattern they're formative energy so it's like a, you get these formative energy patterns which then get established in the way that one's heart experiences and also even in one's body you get knots and tangles and and constrictions and tensions through sankara, not through feeling. But of course, you don't get the sankara without the feeling. The feeling is what pushes the button, and then the sankara is this reaction of fear or rage or woundedness that sort of starts to spin around and proliferate. And proliferation um, is, is when the, the energy of the sankara starts to f- 
cause fragmentation, uh, which means we, you know, we feel angry and then we get kinds of thoughts scattering around. You shouldn't. How dare they? And why am I this? And this never happens. And and this generates more feeling and more perception and more sankara. So you get something like an avalanche effect from from sankara. So the energy then scatters into these kind of cascades, repeating cascades, go over and over and over. And that becomes a habit too. That becomes a pattern. So we touch something and then it's cascades of things. You know, so, you know, if you mention kind of leading political figures, Presidents, ex-presidents used to say the name, and a whole cascade of emotion comes up, and uh, you know, still getting over George Bush or Ronald Reagan or Donald Trump or something other, you know, mention the name, and <laughs> unpleasant feeling. Then Sankara start churning around, and proliferations occur, and you know, indignation and so forth. Or, but then, of course, it can be, you know, just people in your life or incidents that touch, that are patterned in, and you touch one of these incidents and this thing starts happening. So, what we try to do is to um, try and prune the process without crushing it. So, going back from proliferation to getting the overall statement of the of the emotion uh, and try to get it uh, in a sort of fairly concrete way so rather than just feel angry feel fire fire, or feel passion rushing through or feel you know something raging or beating or stabbing or something of this nature so you get as concrete as you can then you get a perception which is directly related to the energy rather than to the topic. Problem is when you go to the topic. Yeah, you go to the topic, then the proliferation continues. But if you go directly to the energy itself, forget well, forget the topic, we put the topic to one side and just feel the nature of the energy of it and in as concrete as way as possible, like swirling, rushing into my head. Um, sinking, contracting. Uh, so then you get the perception, which is a direct representation of what the energy is doing. Mm, this might be called the felt sense of it. We feel it, we sense it. And then, okay, then how does this feel? Disagreeable. Disagreeable, it means it's disagreeable, pretty surely there'll be something trying to stop it happening or get rid of it. Um, and so we then return to perhaps, oh, maybe don't do that, since that doesn't seem to be, the, doesn't seem to be effective. And how is this experience? Just as, just as a phenomenon in its own right. <clears throat> so we terminate the history. It goes into proliferation. This is where the sense of self gets born. The, uh, the scenario, the sense of self, the person gets created out of that proliferation, who is the 
subject and finally the hapless object of these emotions. So they come washing over them. Yeah, so they're caught in a, in a vortex, a whirlpool, which has been generated by this process. And then they're trying to get out of it. The person can't get out of it because the person, uh, that particular person, is the end product of the, the experience. So you, you, can't, you, know, you can't extract the shadow if the light's on, because <laughs> it will always cast the shadow. So well, yeah. So we have to um, go back to the raw material and uh, recognize one feels hopeless, annoyed, uh, disempowered, um, frustrated or whatever, just start relaxing that. So you go much more towards full awareness of the felt sense, which I have the feeling and the energy. Mm. Yeah. And so then if we are beginning to release our resistances, our negativity towards that experience, then the feeling begins to change. And then the perception changes. And it's, it's no longer, it's the, the feeling is the thing that, that triggers the sankhara. The perception is the thing that remains but it's held in place by the intensity of the feeling. So, for example, if we've, um, we may feel ourselves experiencing guilt over things we did in the past, and this keeps coming up. I did do that. It's not just a fantasy. I did do this stupid thing to so-and-so I shouldn't have done that to. Yeah, that's, that's not fantasy. But in a way, well... That was in the past, so what you're experiencing now is the stuck pattern. So we go to that experience of feeling guilty, that emotion of feeling guilt and regret, and then the person who is, we feel ourselves as flawed or impure, it's quite common, flawed, impure, failed, um, how do I forgive this? Can I forgive it? Do I deserve forgiveness? And so they just wait a minute. So you know, just kind of try to get the sense of that sinking or tangling energy as it is. You know, where, where you feel it, your chest or your stomach, where you feel that, where that's experienced directly. And so that's not sidelining the issue, it's just getting to the heart of heart of it since the story in the past cannot be changed it cannot be changed we all know that so then the experience of the felt experience of, of guilt what does it do and now how is it what's the formation of that and if we no longer try to shift away from it or brush it away or paste some answer on top of it you know, shrug it off be philosophical um, get over it just meet the experience in itself with mindful awareness 
then there could be a termination of this constantly reiterating process. If we're no longer struggling with it, uh, identifying with it, um, the, the feeling, the intensity of the feeling begins to release and the perception is just, yeah, I did that, it's over. It's no longer got the, the, it doesn't have the sting, it doesn't have the bite anymore. It just, you can remember it, but it's no longer a, a memory that comes rushing in on you. Because the feeling and the sankara have disappeared. And of course, things that have been done when has been hurt by other people definitely was that that was really uncomfortable, really unpleasant thing happened to me five, ten years ago. Still chewing it over, same thing. First of all, withdraw from the person, appear the event to the direct pain in the heart, the felt sense of being stabbed or belittled or looked down upon or dumped and okay let's get back to that how does it feel feel small contracted you know pressed down upon mindful awareness of that and with awareness you spread your awareness spreads over something and so it's a sense of listening to it sensing it and What does it need? It needs to be listened to, sensed. No, no resistance to that being there. And this seems to drain the feeling, the pang of it. Mm. There may be an emotional shift as that happens in a sense of sadness or something shifts when you because uh, the feeling itself is um, you know, uh, really it's, it's, it's the, the, the nail that nails it that nails the perception into the heart and it's constantly re- regenerated by our resistance to it or a passion for it. It's a pleasant feeling. It's that resistance, favouring and opposing that generates mental feeling. Favouring and opposing. And we think, you know, it's that lovely object or that terrible thing he did that generates it. No, that's a condition. If that wasn't there, you wouldn't have anything to oppose. But it's the opposing or the favouring that generates the mental feeling. If there's nothing to delight in, nothing to resist, the feeling, mental feeling disappears. Practice it.
then you then these things are really helpful because there really isn't any other way to get clear of the past. And so this Felicity is really pressing you to get a deep understanding of how the mind works and how feeling works, which he considered to be really a kind of absolute thing that we are got no say over. Physical feeling, that's true. Mental feeling, it's not true. You can resolve mental feeling. Mm. Uh, saying again, it's the resistance to perception, to an impression. Don't want that. That's terrible. Don't like that. Feel uncomfortable with that. Shouldn't be there. Oh no, it's me. Made a mess. Idiot. She's this, he's that. It's that impression. I don't want it. Or of course it can be an impression. Oh, that was great. I'd love to have that again. Fantastic. It's, it's that favouring and opposing that generates the mental feeling. Once that's there, then the sankharas start going. The passion, the regret, the craving, the berating, and the stories go on and on. So, related question, which... Working with knots or obsessions that are very strong. <clears throat> well, I think this is kind of what I've been saying, so just to reiterate that. But when one, ganta is the word, ganta, knots, um, so they're the classical, <laughs> traditional. Uh, uh, people were getting knotted at the time of the Buddha, so you're in good company. <laughs> um, and these are somatic, somatic impressions of what we may have uh, considered to be psychological or emotional. And that's one aspect of it, but the flip side of it is a somatic quality, uh, um, which may be a sense of one suddenly feels cold or shut down. It doesn't necessarily mean a particular point in your body. It could be the body feels shut down or weak. You feel oppressed with guilt, you know, less buoyant, or you feel fired up. Yeah. So it could be an overall impression, or your part of your body seems to disappear, you know, your throat suddenly vanishes or is no longer there or gets blocked. Or it could be tensions in the shoulders or the soft tissues of the body, tightness. And these are all aspects of this process. The, um, the snag is that these don't always have memories and, and, and words to them. Whereas we might recognize our emotional proliferations or we'll tend to bring up memories or visions or scenarios, uh, words, ideas, people, histories, things like that. So this is what bothers us. But we also have somatic impressions which have no story to them, no picture, no image. It's just that we don't understand what's going on. 
these are reflexes. <clears throat> and some, so these, these are more problematic uh, because <laughs> the irony is that with the, the noisy emotional ones who want them to shut up, but with the somatic ones who want them to speak, because it's not until they've spoken that they can be, you know, cleared. And some of them are always locked down, like no no feeling feeling. Like I just feel out of it somehow, or closed. And and this can be uh, related to, um, say, childhood experiences, where before you were able to verbalise, or, or experiences that were so powerful that one was kind of emotionally knocked out by it. So, you know, like heavy traumatic experiences. Um, so they, they kind of penetrate so deeply they go beyond the, the thinking mind or the emotional mind, which is, just has a somatic lock to it. Um, so these then we have to almost like start to ask them, you know, spread awareness over over the area if it's tight and spreading so from a knotted up area to a looser area spreading awareness and awareness is a sympathetic quality it's listening it's attentive and and so the, here here again one of the main things is just to avoid trying to get rid of something this this instinct to get rid of something it's pretty much coded in. As soon as you call something a knot, then pretty much you can't really say, oh, that's fine. No, you say, I don't want it. <laughs> Otherwise you wouldn't call it a knot. <laughs> I had a lovely knot in my belly. No, it's always bad news. So, so natural comes in, they kind of, kind of do some sort of thing to make this go away. I totally understand, well, that isn't going to work. So we perhaps even rename it, you know, rename that experience like a don't know what you are. And then what does it feel like? What does it seem like? Is it moving? Is it shifting? Is it hard? Is it soft? Is it hot, cold? So we start to reframe that, that, that experience. That helps because if you keep approaching things as problems, you relate to them as problems they are problems. <laughs> How you relate to it is what it becomes. If you relate it to as a problem, it remains a problem. <laughs> and if it's a problem that's that's this nature, it's not going to move. So instead, we begin to well, it's just how the energy's there moving through. Take me, befriend it, give it a name, Herbert or whatever. Um, and so we change, change, reframe that experience. Sense of tightness, closure, and then spreading awareness over it, and then maybe what does it need? So you must make the invitation. What would you like to do? Would you like, would you like to move, go somewhere? What would be good? What would be helpful? What do you, so it's a sympathetic quality. And so we approach it rather like that. And it's holistic because, you know, we may think there's a problem in my body. No, the problem is in the psychosomatic field. 
in which the chitta is not separate. So the problem may be, or the resolution of that may be, or the beginning of it may be when you no longer resist it. So there's a shift in your attitude. Oh. Or you feel when you sense that phenomenon, you feel kind of intense or angry or upset. Oh, maybe I'll work on that and work on that aspect of it. So whatever you can, you know, wherever you find an opening, could be your attitude, your emotion, memory may come up, an image may pop up, or something may happen in your body, may suddenly tingle and rush, uh, you know, or surge. Then you just follow, follow the, follow the, the path of what the phenomenon, how the phenomenon wants to move. If it's an obsession, then you obviously you've got to put aside the topic of the obsession and deal very much with the energy of obsessiveness. <coughs> So a person asking about Vedana, neutral Vedana. It seems the majority of our experience fits into the element of neutral Vedana. Um, Well, I think there are subtler levels of Vedana. So sometimes it's obvious, some is pleasant, some is painful. Um, But neutral can be we're just not giving it much attention. Um, because it's not particularly intense. So it could be like that. At the moment it's undetermined. So you want to, if you're experiencing neutral feeling, where would that be? In your body? And so, you, okay, where's that neutral feeling? Some is relatively neutral, like, you know, aspects of the body can be relatively neutral. Um, then you can, it's calming, if it's neutral. The calming aspect of it means it's pleasant, because you rather like that neutrality. <laughs> or it could be boring. You don't, so then you dislike it. So it, it, it morphs from neutral into pleasant or unpleasant. So you want to ask yourself, if this experience I'm having, would I like to have more of this? longer time or would you like to have less of it if you like to have more of it it's called pleasant if you like to have less of it it's called unpleasant <laughs> so you may think this neutrality is you know I'll be neutral I wonder when something's going to happen well it's just turned into unpleasant <laughs> um, but if it is if it's neutral and you can tune into it, it can be very helpful for just sensitizing the mind so that the awareness is more subtle to detect, then that's advantageous. And then we get something, a kind of a certain pleasant effect in the chitta because it becomes more refined. So another translation speaks of worldly and unworldly Vedana, which is a different connotation than sensory and non-sensory, more related to meditative states. Well, these are translations, and translation is, is 
samisa ni samisa, which means literally conjoined with the flesh or not conjoined with the flesh. So one translated translated as worldly and unworldly, but you could also translate it as sensory and, and nonsense, uh, sensory and nonsensory, because the, the word actually is quite concrete of the flesh and not of the flesh. Um, which could be seen directly in terms of the, the physicality of the body, or more general terms, those associated with, you know, sense, sensory objects. So, and so then the nisamisa, not conjoined with the flesh, ref, would refer to qualities such as refined, more refined mental pleasure, such as uh, you know the, the joy of uh, happiness of of morality, for example, you know, or the happiness of honesty, the uplift of, of experience with uh, freedom from regret. So this would be Vedana dependent upon non-sensorial or non-worldly uh, areas, whereas the world is always conjoined to some sensory condition in this respect. So we've got internal, external, mind, external. So this reference, internal, external, ajatapahita is the Pali, which is also translated as here and there. So when when you're referring to English words, remember you're referring to a a particular translation, uh, which may become standardised, but the Pali might have different nuances to it. So ajatapihita, internal, external, here and there, which makes it a little more foggy. But perhaps, perhaps it is foggy. <laughs> um, mind external be- encompass not so much of another being, not so much just looking down upon them as sensitivity to them to their bodily presence, for example, their tone of voice, their body gestures, their postures, their facial movements. So then one can be mindful externally and internally in cultivating wholesome ways of relating, picking up signs, etc. That's, yeah, that's a good idea. Um. You can use it like that. Uh, it's all, that's also related to gochara, gochara sampajana, that is contextual awareness. So you expand your awareness. So, for example, if you're, you know, your breakfast time, rather than just focusing on your bagels or getting your hit of whatever it is, you focus on. There's 30 of us trying to get our breakfast, widen the awareness, how we're going to do this without becoming a stampede. You know, people getting trampled. <laughs> there's a comfortable feeling of sharing and there's a chance to actually help somebody else rather than just... So you, context, you, you expand your mindfulness to include other people and that would be a skillful way of doing it. But in the sutta itself, it doesn't seem to do that it's rather 
puzzling reference in my opinion because in the sutra talks about meditating on on corpses externally, internally you think where's the internal of that and so you might think okay that means that's a corpse there I will be a corpse one day there, here that makes sense yeah Um, so we say object subject that's another way of looking at it when it comes to feeling it's a little more tricky because I don't really can't really tell actually what the people are feeling I can guess but I couldn't really honestly particularly when sitting still I don't really know what kind of Vedana they're experiencing uh, so it gets tricky to think that it means other people I mean I could probably recognise they're feeling something and feel a sense of compassion or gladness but it doesn't seem to quite work in that, in that presentation so I'm not really convinced of it being other people though it can be applied that way but if you said <coughs> objectively like I can notice okay there's this unpleasant feeling here there I'm being objective about it, and then subjectively, wow, I'm getting activated by that. This is this is a dynamic experience that's happening to me. Then, then that would be here, you know. You know, so we might say, yeah, that's physical discomfort. I can name that happening in my legs. That's one way of looking at it. But also, there's this sense of being resistance, tension building up, dynamics happening. The sankara is getting activated then that would be the internal aspect of it. So when you look at these things, basically you make what, what use you can out of it, I reckon. And certainly with this one, you think if it, if it meant your own body and other people's bodies, why didn't they say it? It's not that difficult to say. <laughs> so it seems to be something that's kind of slightly... You know, you can you can move it around. You can, you know, you can adopt it to use it as a in a number of ways. And of course, it could have been something in those days when when you say, "Oh, here and there and everywhere," like a general kind of not not very specific reference at all. So make what you can of it. What is the relation of chitta to the fine material? What is the relation of the fine material to the ordinary sensorial body? What is the relation of the fine material to the felt sense, the felt sense of embodiment? Fine material, rupa. Um, <clears throat> so in this analysis we have what's called karma, and the karma loka, karma not kamma, is action, kamma is action, karma is sense, sensuality. So you have the sense world, karma loka, which involves the whole domain of sensation and the feelings that arise from physical sensations or uh, apprehensions of sights, sounds, touches and so forth. So the sensory world, that which is associated with the 
the six, the six senses, the karma loka. Probably specifically the five external senses. Uh, so that's to do with sensation on a bodily level. Contact impressions hitting the body. Sensation arises. Now the rupa means fine material and that's associated with the kind of the energies that move around which can be cultivated and steadied till you come into rupa jhana which is the absorption into the fine material and these are this absorption of the fine material is is what are called the four jhanas so it's absorption into these subtler experiences which, which are not about sensation there are suffusions so it's an energetic dynamic experience suffusions of ease release happiness coolness calm you, they're kind of we, you, you can use language like emotional language or somatic language and it seems to be referring to um, uh, energy because energy is not material but it's not immaterial either it's not just like an idea or a concept which is immaterial yeah. it's, a, it's a subtle find of materiality in that it definitely can be apprehended as a sort of a, an object yeah. <clears throat> so that's the fine material uh, and uh, so jitta can can uh, sense that, um, can sense that experience, that, that domain, um, and if it absorbs into it, this is called the rupa jhana. Mm. But still, the jitta, that means the jitta is turning towards that, uh, and if it's turning towards that, um, then it's absorbed in that, and there's a if it's attached to that, there's a sense of forming, attachment, and becoming in that condition. So, in in uh, the, the kind of the way this is sometimes presented is in cosmological terms. So, the absorption into these fine material states is called the Brahma Loka, the realm of the fine material beings who don't have physical bodies. It's kind of energy energy forms. And there's not one of them. There's a whole stack of them. They get finer and finer and finer. So that's so it gives you an idea. This, this is a known domain. The jitta can dwell in those. When it dwells in those, the experience of time slows down. Sensorial contact dissolves, disappears. It's extremely refined and, and agreeable, pleasant. Um, the Buddha obviously trans, tra, you know, moved across this plane and knew it and he said, yeah, there's this, there's that and, but he said the deathless is a jitta which doesn't go into anything <laughs> neither material nor the fine material nor the immaterial the immaterial is a kind of a, uh, kind of a, uh, a step you can take from the, mater- the fine material these are called infinite consciousness and so forth <coughs> so these are just places that the chitta can hang out in you could say 
pretty crudely. <clears throat> Relation of the fine material to the ordinary sensory body. Well, the fine material can be um, accessed through the sensory body. That's how the Buddha got into it, from his sitting position, breathing in, breathing out. He seemed to, from that position, he, he practicing that, uh, he entered into these rupa states, rupa jhana states. <clears throat> if you look at it, on another level, you can say that what we call materiality is actually a very dense energy. You know, and what we call energy or fine material is much less dense. So within this body you have, within this experience of embodiment, you have a kind of fairly dense, coarse quality we call material form. It's got sensations in it. It's heavy. It's... Uh, and then within that, as you penetrate, you can also detect certain energetic patterns, which are the, which take it, which take the mind to the fine material form domains. So all this can be experienced within that, and it's it's recommended um, to enter these fine material realms to some degree because it alleviates. The physical pain, discomfort, and also makes the mind becomes much more subtle and uh, light and dexterous, and then it's fit for insight. When it's like that, it's no longer so tethered, and uh, it's it's got a lightness to it. You can direct it. So the Buddha said, in these particular states, I directed my jitta then to the elimination of the uh, bias, the taints, the asava. So it does seem to, he refers to it as conditions which you can, chitta can be directed, it's not hypnotized in those jhana states. Still it? Um. <clears throat> How does the jitta settle into knowing? How can we support the jitta being warm and open? Well, knowingness is, is um, a very fundamental aspect of citta. So, um, if, for example, if as one practices, that's there's a constant, that's a constant quality, some kind of awareness, but normally it's rather obstructed with these uh, feeling and uh, sensorial feeling thinking, uh, you know, so all this stuff and emotions and sankaras are washing over it. But still you can you can acknowledge that's happening. You can be aware of that. And so this means there's a certain viveka or detachment from engaging or disengagement with those phenomena. If you disengage from those phenomena, you're not trying to change them or act upon them or get upset about them, then you become, oh yeah, I'm, I'm aware of it, there's awareness of it. That's that's not something you have to create, you just have to step back into it. It means releasing one's attachment, tethering, engagement with conditioned phenomena. 
So then you're aware of that. That's so that can be known. <coughs> and it's a constant, though we do we do lose touch with it. So in a way, when you you know, to, to kind of remind yourself of that in any situation, my suggestion would be whatever you're experiencing, you know, however strange it may be, is there something, where is it that, that is able to say or recognize, I can be with this? I don't want to be with this, but I can be with this. I'm okay with this. It's like this. It's like this. That would be awareness. That's a chitta property. Um, and from that place, one begins to get a sense of perspective on the conditioned forms, conditioned experience, gets less engaged with them, and sometimes you know, really it's not no longer wound up, worked up about it, dispassion occurs. But mostly that, that cleaning, so chitta does need to be purified, which means that these energetic formations, these sensations and passions should be appropriately uh, stilled, mollified, cleared, so that, that quality of awareness becomes more apparent, more, more to the fore, one's experience just as if we have a lake of water then it always reflects the moon if you throw a rock in it the picture of the moon shatters into various fragments but it's still you can still see it's still reflective if you pour a load of oil into it it still reflects but the reflection is rather smeared and muddy um, now if the lake if you're not throwing rocks into the water, that image of the moon becomes very stable and you can see more clearly. So yeah, there's always awareness, but it does help to clarify and purify the content so that awareness becomes to the fore of one's experience. So when that's to the fore, front of one's experience, then the sense of self is not generated. Self is generated out of the various reactivities around the activations that occur. So this does this process of purification does support the chitta being more open. Its nature is also when it's open in the in this uh, in a skillful we cultivate like that to clear it, then some degree of Sympathy is an aspect of that, a sympathetic quality. Uh, it, it, so it's anukampa, it's sympathetic. And generally, this degree of lovingness and compassion and patience and tender-heartedness is necessary in order to bring around the purification from regret, irritation, self-image and so forth. So you, you can't really avoid um, <laughs> that, you know, it's, it comes in, it doesn't, nothing's going to work if that is, unless that's there. 
because you just start getting nihilistic about it all. Get rid of this, get rid of that. And then that, you create negativity. Difference between, this is about Upeka and the Brahma Vihara. Upeka equanimity, Brahma Vihara, these measureless states. And the questioner seems to sort of be saying, well, when do these wholesome inclinations become yet another project, another thing I've got to do, you know, got to crank out some metta today, uh, and, and so forth. So, um, so this is, is this just another program? Well, yes, it can be. Um, the difference between, it's called the Aryan and a non-Aryan deliverance. So if, if one is intent on generating goodwill, the liability that is that one's not, not generating ill will. Um, so that's, that's considered a relative liberation. You know, you're liberating yourself from the influence of ill will. But there's still the sense one isn't liberating from the sense of self, which is a deeper liberation. And so this is the Aryan, is practice uh, has the quality of metta, but they're not, they're not searching for result. They're not trying to get rid of anything. It's just it's a natural condition. It's a response rather than a program. Right? It's a re- natural response rather than something I'm doing. It's just the natural response uh, to beings. Or natural response to suffering is compassion. It's not, oh, somebody's suffering, I better generate some compassion. Uh, if the mind is, is pure, then compassion arises. Yeah. So then it's no longer, it's just a, like a heartfulness rather than a activity, a heartful inclination, rather than a program. Programs always have a sense of searching the result and there being somebody who's doing it. What's the difference between this quality of equanimity, opeka, in the Brahma Vihara, and opeka as an enlightenment factor. So we see it, it's the um, quality, the seventh of the enlightenment factors. And you can also say it's the tenth of the parami. So this is the tops, tops the charts in all these different lists, and it's the same thing. <laughs> I would imagine the difference is that it's how, how it's how the approach is. So with samadhi, if you approach in that in that direction, the quality of samadhi stabilizes the mind. Uh, it allows wise, deep attention to occur, in which um, passions and you know are dispelled. And the mind is therefore very even and spacious. 
and so it's really the, the same same condition same experience these are called to recognize these Brahma Viharas they're also recognized called the doors to the deathless so the the four Rupa Jhanas and the four Brahma Viharas and even three of the immaterial states are held to be doors to the deathless in that they can all be seen as foundations for insight. So they take you to the, the advantageous place where insight can work to begin to contemplate this too is conditioned, this too is not self and there's a release can occur. person speaks of uh, perceived duties, roles and responsibilities, mother, wife, sister, feel the heartache of a loved one's dukkha. Uh, also, uh, there seems to be the arising of a quality of compassion, but also see some deep conditioning to, conditioning to fix it, and a sense of self comes up. How can one fulfill one's roles in a way that inclines towards letting go and releasing this sense of self? Well, the sense of self comes whenever one expects a result from one's kindness or compassion. That will come in. If you don't expect a result, that, that definitely helps to free up the... The, the heaviness of, of the duty mm. um, and begins to be a powerful um, release from self. Mm. So then these responses are just natural. Compassion is a natural response and so you're just open-hearted. You must be recognize that the quality itself which is just the the willingness to open around the unpleasant the disagreeable the painful you focus on that that's there what you can do requires wisdom <laughs> so you you know, so it's, what you can do is not just a matter of compassion it's a matter of wisdom maybe you can't so, then equanimity. You know, you're open, you're ready, but there's no entry here, so we remain open, present, sensitive, available, not. You know, but that's it, equanimous. Um, uh, so with wisdom, we begin to recognize how this... Uh, you know, if you, if you get into compassion being an action, there's always going to be an actor. And the actor is the self. And so then we see someone who's suffering, you want this person to not suffer. Well, who is the person? That's, that's an impression that you're retaining. Um, what do you actually experience? Uh, and how can you deal with that? 
So you, you see someone sick, you see a body. Is that what you're trying to cure? Or do you see uh, an emotion or sense an emotion? Is that what you're trying to cure? And how much of that about is getting rid of that emotion? Making it something else. What's it like to work in a hospice where people are dying? There is no way out. They are dying. You know? What do you can do about it? Is it a failure? Or is it a sense of the compassion is there, but we something we can do, we do it. If there's nothing we can do, we don't shut off the compassion. But the sense of the self who has the obligation begins to release the sense of the person who's experiencing suffering. You see, well, there is, there is stressing, but you know, my impression of that person is just my impression. So this is a work of wisdom begins to, you know, see through those strong definitions. Myself, the person, the action. Well, myself is a series of, of energies and actions, activations. The action is, uh, you know, dependent on the ability to do something. That's also dependent. It's not, a, it's not a fixed thing. The person is my impression. We're dealing with things that really are not fixed at all. They're constructed. So where's the weight in that? The weight is that we believe those things are solid. We believe there is an action that we could do if we were good enough or skillful enough or strong enough. There is an action we could do. Maybe there isn't. An action is a condition. The person who can do it, that's a condition, not, a, not, a, not an entity. You know, I cannot, personally, I cannot cure leukemia. No matter how hard I try, no matter how much sympathy I have for it, I can't do it. I don't have to feel frustrated by it, it's just a recognition. The condition isn't there. And the person, it's just to be, if we keep putting that pressure on people to be other than they are, does that help? If you're seeing people as disasters that you need to cure, does that help them? <laughs> or just relate to them as a person, an entity, a chitta, going through stuff, and you're sending them blessings. Where's the weight in that? Where's the obligation in that? You can't, it doesn't operate. So then this compassion, open-heartedness, when it's backed up by wisdom in terms of understanding the essence of what's there, understanding the conditioned relativity of what can be done, begins to free up the obligations of these roles which we fabricate or get fabricated into. Okay. Pause at the end of the exhale.
So I've thought that it's beneficial to linger there. Person's been practicing lingering in that pause leads to a deeper at the end of the exhalation. Find it leads to the deeper stillness and collectedness of mind. However, over time it becomes tight and feels constricted. Then when I broaden awareness, the collectedness diminishes. Is there a way to linger in the pause in a balanced way that encourages expansiveness? <laughs> well, uh, 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 well, I think we need to explore why, where the tightness is coming from. Are you trying to hold it? So if we make lingering something where it becomes another thing, I've got to linger in this. Then, then it would become tighter. Or we want to hold it longer. You've got to let it come and go. Let it come and go. The mind re- relaxes and eases. The mind relaxes and eases. Is is less invested in that pausing. He's just aware of it not trying to make it more that lightness and ease calms the pause lengthens because it's related to one's mental attitudes so they work together the body somatic energy and the heart energy work together so the, the pausing does help I suggest to find a place where the the mind is just released from having to do anything from willpower and enjoy that then something starts happening then we focus on that the rising of the breathing get to the top of the end of the inhalation how's that? so you can recognise these things come and go by themselves and it can be quite enjoyable and then that sense of allowing it to be how it is so the mental attitude becomes much lighter and less uh, uh, intense Uh, and that will have an effect in the body in terms of breathing calms down, goes quieter and you'll get those pauses will become longer till they're hardly pauses, they're just kind of subtler you know, the quality of openness becomes more extended the breathing becomes more subtle and overall and that. so you've got to keep both together the heart and and the body and keep checking that they are the one isn't getting intense in one domain or the other that would be my suggestion